everybody, and welcome back to another fine episode of Oh God, It Hurts. Oh God, It Hurts. Sure. Is it just uh, something a little different for today? Yeah, why, why not? Why not? Uh, as usual, I am one of your co-hosts, uh, Six Button Samurai, a.k.a. JJJ, a.k.a. Loops of Fury, a.k.a. Voodoo People. Did you say Lips of Fury? That's pretty awesome, dude. Who gave you that nickname? Loops of Fury, oh. Oh, not I Lips said- of Fury. <laughs> That's completely That's different. Mick Jagger. Oh. <laughs> right on. Right on. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's been a long summer vacation. It has Enjoyable. Been. Yes. Yeah. As usual with me is uh the, the co-host of Oh God It Hurts, uh Mighty Mighty, Mr. Eddie Tang, aka Game Agent ET. How are you, Ed? I'm pretty relaxed. It's been a nice Good. summer vacation. Uh, it's been a while since we've done a proper episode besides the beat em up episode we just did last time. Uh, that was fun. Yes, it was with Hoptimus. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, a lot of things have changed since we just we last talked mm-hmm. a lot. It's been, what, two months, I guess? Yeah. Uh... Since a proper quote unquote episode, I, sp- I suppose so. Yeah. Yeah. Lots changed. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of lot of things. Things change. Interesting ideas. Whatnots blowing in the wind. Yeah. So what are you playing these days? I am still on Tears of the Kingdom, which I don't know if I'm going to be able to beat it in the next two or three months. And I've already been playing it for three months so far. Mm -hmm. And Breath of the Wild took me four months, uh, three and a half months uh, playing. This might wind up being like a seven or eighth month. Yeah, that's at the rate you're going. That's how big it is. And I am still loving it. Um it's surprising I haven't gotten tired of it because I mean, I will admit that I get, I, I don't have much attention for a lot of games. Like I'll play a game for maybe two months and then not play it ever again and not uh-huh. finish it sometimes. Right. But tears of the kingdom. I think I just enjoy it because it's like my chill game. I just play it. I don't have an overarching type of goal. I just go with the flow and just play it to relax. And I think that's why it's been such a good game for me. Just everything in that game that you do, it it feels natural. It doesn't feel like it's forced or awkward. You're just playing and see what unfolds. And literally, that's probably the best type of game I've ever played. I haven't played anything like it, so anyone that hasn't played it yet or te- uh, Breath of the Wild, highly recommend it. James, you know, what- yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I'm kind of, uh, I went through sort of the same thing with Breath of the Wild, where like, I bought Breath of the Wild, mm-hmm. and then it actually took some time for me to like, sit down and lock into it and really find my way with it. 
Now, yeah. with Tears of the Kingdom, you know, I fired it up day one. I was very excited about it. I got into it, and there was just something about it that wasn't finding me quite right yet. Uh-huh. And I don't think it has anything to do, per se, with, like, any sort of thing with the game itself. It's more what's happening on my end. So basically I kind of grounded out, like I got through the quote unquote tutorial area, um, arrived at Hyrule proper, got some key elements early on, like the uh, paraglider. And then I said, you know, I'm just not, I'm not finding my way through to, I'm not, I'm not in that place where like this game is repeatedly pulling me back yet. So yeah, I shelved it for a bit. I turned my attention to some other games that I've been working on for a while now. Beat one of them. I beat the um, original Super Mario RPG, which was great. And obviously, like, uh, just in time for the remake, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but, November. you know, yep. that's such an interesting game, such an interesting collaboration, especially, like, seeing is how that really marked kind of like the one of the last times that square Nintendo would be like formerly partners on any, anything. Um, and I know the team themselves that actually made super Mario RPG, they would go on to form alpha dream and they'd work on a bunch of Mario and Luigi games. So the spirit of that gameplay definitely kept continuing, but for some reason, I was really, really focused on, like, I need to beat the original Super Mario RPG, and I don't know why. So, trying to be a little more instinctual about that, which I play these days. Um, to that same end, I'm also now working on Chrono Trigger. Yeah, well, have you beaten um, that game yet before? No. <laughs> okay, see. I, it's yeah. been one of those, like... And I think I talked about this when I played Yoshi, when I played Yoshi's Island, where like mm-hmm. there were a number of false starts with it, and for whatever reason, I just never managed to completely lock in and finish the damn thing. Yeah, feeling really good about um, the investment in Chrono Trigger right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can see obviously why it's such a ridiculously beloved Japanese role-playing game. Well, it's such a like high watermark for the genre. Um, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I mean, it's great that you're playing it now, especially yeah. at a more mature age because you appreciate it more. Oh yeah. No, I um, mean, I, I literally just stop there sometimes and like, just kind of admire like what it's doing. The character designs, like, uh, everything in that game is just really, 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 like, it was just the height of expression for that particular moment as far as, like, what was possible on the hardware, what that creative team was capable of doing. Um, it was also kind of a weird look at the future because, obviously, that was before the Square and Enix merger but it was this melding of the two teams, you know, people that made Final Fantasy, people that made the Dragon Quest games. Um, 
So it's very, very exciting to see that like way in advance. And it also like it has me wondering, like supposedly there's some other projects that Square has yet to announce, and they seem even more bullish on doing these two and a half D style either remakes mm-hmm. or new games. Um, because they've been really successful with the likes of Octopath Traveler. Um, there's a two and a half D remake of Dragon Quest three that's on the way. Um, Live Alive. Live Alive has apparently done very, very well for them, which to me that still blows my mind because that was such a like that was a niche of a niche <laughs> Japanese role playing game from way back when. Like and never made it to the States or never never uh, made it to the States. It's existed in like, you know, fan sub zone for a really long time. Yeah. Um, thanks to all the dedicated like retro JRPG maniacs out there that keep these things alive, even when the companies that birth them kind of abandon them. So I think at some point, like if you talk about like just a mountain of money waiting to be claimed, any kind of Chrono Trigger remake is just going to be like, yeah, people are going to flip the fuck out if and when that gets remade. And to be honest, like I was really deep into my play of Super Mario RPG when that news about that remake came out. So I don't know, maybe I feel like I'm I'm trying to summon the same kind of thing. Like maybe if I start paying t- attention to this again, <laughs> <laughs> they'll, they'll pick uh, it up on the wind and go, "Oh, we should remake that next." I don't know. But so look for that Chrono Trigger remake next year, huh? <laughs> I mean, it would be that would be a very, very, very large project. Yeah, um, but well <laughs> worth it because I mean, Final Fantasy VII remake is doing really well, so that should be an indicator that Chrono Trigger would definitely benefit from that. And Chrono Cross got re released recently, and it was slightly remade, and that did fairly well. So I think. They can't go wrong. I mean, yeah, gonna lose money at all. Like you said, it's gonna print money. It's just how much effort you want to put into it and what's your vision for it. You don't want right. to disappoint people, but yeah. at the same time, you have to. Decide. That's the thing. You don't want to be like down the middle with it. Like, yep, a remaster or something to that effect. You know, if it was something along the lines of the Pixel remasters, I think most people would just be happy to have that game easily accessible again. Um, to do an even like to do like a massive scale FF seven kind of thing would be it would be fucking wild. I don't know that like. I don't know that the character designs or like the worlds that's created in that game necessarily supports that. Cause I don't know if it like gets too far away from like the charm. Yeah. Of the original, but at the same time, like I would hate to have it land in a place where like, that's kind of what happened with secret of mana. 
where it was sort of like, yes, it was a 3D remake, but it was kind of an El Cheapo 3D remake that definitely didn't please the heads, and it just sort of came and went. Um, Is this Charles of Mana? No, no, no. I'm talking about Secret of Mana. Trials of Mana, they actually did a much, much better job by. And I think in general, that was much more well-received. Okay. Talking about the Secret of Mana remake specifically, Uh, that a lot of folks just kind of felt missed the mark. hmm, Because all I have is the Mana collection, which has the original Secret of Mana Super Nintendo game. Yeah. And I still need to play that. No, there's that. There's a Trials of Mana remake that's a much more like it's much more what you would have expected from a modern console at that point in time. Yeah. Secret of Mana was just a little bit just kind of scream budget title. Yeah, and it it all depends on how much you want to focus on it. Like uh we talked about it last episode with the uh beat 'em up episode and how I felt Double Dragon 4 like really missed the mark and I read interviews saying that they had a very low budget and that's why it came out very poor. Mm -hmm. And that can tarnish the legacy of any franchise if you half-ass it. Right. So with Chrono Trigger, yeah, if they potentially did something like bring out a remake or remaster They'd really have to decide what would be the best route, which personally I think would be HD 2D. Yeah, I mean, nice... that also seems like another path with it. And I, I wonder, I wonder how much of like the development of Octopath and those subsequent games using that engine were sort of an answer to like what happened with that Secret of Mana remake. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like maybe they just said, well, you know, doing these things in 3D from the ground up is unbelievably expensive and, you know, time consuming. So. And like you said, it loses the feel of the original, like if you stray away too far. Right. But. But I think in general, it's good that you're playing Chrono Trigger. It doesn't matter if it's on launch that you played it or 20 years after the fact. I mean, just whoever's out there, don't worry about people saying, Oh, you haven't played this game. What's wrong with you? Don't, don't listen to those people. Just, yeah, it's never too late to play an awesome game period. I believe yeah. that. And that's, I think one of the, I, I would say if there's a, if we had like pillars to this show, like that would be one of them. Like it's never too late to play something fantastic. Yeah. Because you can't play all the games. No, you really can't. Especially these days. Like I feel like there's so much shit that comes out that I just don't bloody have the time to sit and spend a lot of time with. Yeah. And you could argue, well, you know, part of it is that you keep going back to finish these games. You never beat like Super Mario RPG or Chrono Trigger. Yeah, I would say true, but, um, you know, uh, I'm more intent on sort of patching the holes in my resume that I feel were like, 
real genuine like lost opportunities you know yeah i mean so it's definitely good to touch up on some of those classics like i did that five years ago when i played chrono trigger dragon quest 8 and earthbound all in the same year calendar year Mm -hmm. that was the best rpg gaming year i've ever had in my life and all three games are definitely worth checking out yep classics and i did that in my 40s so there you go i mean yep no shame no shame in that the only shame you would have is if you're talking about said games but you never played them and you you're talking like you're an expert that's when i would kind of frown upon that just yep don't fake it just play it admit that okay i haven't played it yet maybe i should give it a try and just play it yeah that that's all i gotta say about that but that's good keep keep playing it finish it let me know what you think for sure cool man (sighs) so speaking of classics um there was an announcement recently that digital eclipse is beginning to make this series of like it's not even a retro compilation even though the atari 50 project basically served as like the massive template for these but basically the first sort of project in this vein is the making of karataka um and it looks really really cool and interesting um i was um I actually hadn't seen this story until you brought it to my attention, Eddie. Yeah. Um, And it's, uh, I don't know. uh, We're at a really, really interesting time with these things because I feel like so often a lot of the kind of things that would normally, like, you think about the way movies are sold anymore. More often than not, they're just streamed. You have some physical copies of these things that do make it to market, and people like me tend to buy them, especially given that now, like, I'm more paranoid than ever about all of these streaming services that are, like, slashing their inventory, and you can really count on them less than ever to actually continue to hold titles that you hold dear. Um. And so, for a while, extras and things of that nature were like an absolute given when like DVD ruled the earth, right? Yeah. And it continued for a long time through the Blu-ray era. Video games, by and large, have not really ever embraced that sort of thing terribly much. And I think it's sort of a byproduct of how you know, frankly, a lot of these companies see maintaining those sorts of archives and, you know, it's really kind of not their thing. It's not the thing that they particularly care about. Um, And there was a really big story a while back where it said something like, I forget the year and the ratio, but it was something like 87% of video games made before... 2010 or whatever, or like inaccessible now. Um, yeah. And so, as somebody that 
definitely considers themselves a person that loves these things beyond like the, oh my God, I can play this value of it. Like, I want to know more about the history of these things. I want to hear more from the people that birthed them. Um, and that was one of the very exciting things about Atari 50 because, you know, and this may be specifically where I came into the conversation where a lot of those Atari titles, they're good and they're interesting games, but like, as far as like pure play value, some games more than others, especially from that era. You know what I mean? Yeah. So to tie them all together narratively with this really exhaustive kind of documentary style approach as Digital Eclipse deployed with Atari 50 was really fantastic. Like it gave me a whole new appreciation for a lot of games that otherwise I might have fired it up for like 30 seconds, two minutes. Oh, yeah, that works. That's cool. I'm good. Like to hear from all those people that were toiling in this completely new field with no rules, just some really severe hardware limitations in front of them and pull off what were essentially miracles is awesome. And like, I'm absolutely excited about like supporting digital eclipse and, you know, I'll fork out for this Karatka. Oh yeah. Sort of quasi remaster plus archive. Like, how do you feel about it, Ed? Well, definitely uh, August 29th is when Karateka comes out, the Gold Master series. Uh, that's the new series that they're going to push for maybe future titles that they focus on after Karateka. Um, but yes, um, I think it's a great idea because, um, I mean, one of the guys that worked for Digital Eclipse for a while, or at least assisted with their previous compilations, uh, Frank Cifaldi. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a very well-known video game. Uh, how do, I can't really pronounce it. Preservationalist, I guess. Preservationist. Like, yes, preservationist. Um, yeah. He has his own organization. It's a non-profit charity or not charity, but organization uh, dedicated to um, making sure that video games have the proper, uh, as you said before, like uh, uh, they keep, they want to keep track of all these old games uh, and the history of it and make sure it's preserved and uh, not lost to the sands of time. Um, Mm -hmm. But basically when they did uh digital eclipse they started a lot a, a lot further back uh with if uh you ever tried out the street fighter 30th anniversary collection that was well lauded as wow this is like the type of uh how should i say it compilation that people should strive to have where it has a mix of oh here's all the old games plus Here's a lot of these uh, little historical facts about the series, and here are the illustrations that they did to kind of plan how to make the game, things like that. It it all started with that compilation, I believe, and then they 
went out to make uh, the SNK 40th anniversary collection, which is was also more of that sort of same thing. Uh, but they kind of perfected it, as you said, with the uh, Atari 50, where they had not only the materials, but also interviews and uh, uh, videos to show, uh, illustrate more of what uh, they were trying to do with those games back then. And it felt like a interactive coffee table. Uh, I mean, not coffee table, a coffee uh, table book where mm-hmm. you just pick it up, you read it, and you say, wow, that's really interesting. I never knew about that. And you learn more about it. But at the same time, you also have interactive games with it. You can actually play the real games that these, uh, you know, if it was a coffee table book, you can actually try them out, which is amazing. And with the Gold Master series, it's even more exciting because you'll be able to try many versions of Karateka, which right. uh, a lot of people say the Apple II, the Apple II version was the best version, but you can see the other versions and can compare them, which is kind of cool. Like you want to see what the differences were back in the day, because most of us didn't have these computers or didn't have access to them or too young to even be able to play them. Uh, right. to to be able to do that and have a final remastered version which was the you know is the version that Jordan Mechner the creator of the the series uh envisioned you know he what he wanted the game to actually be back then you can right. try that as well and it's just an amazing idea um even if you haven't played Karateka that sh- shouldn't stop you from trying this out because Karateka has some sort of uh, very important uh, historic uh, importance for us video game enthusiasts, because I don't know if it could be considered the first fighting game, but it has a lot of uh, elements that are from fighting games, so... Yeah. Well, no, I mean, that was definitely a time where, like... For most development teams or folks making games, then, you know, depiction of like full size human figures, especially doing any sort of realistic animation, was pretty much not thought of as something that's possible at the time. You know, you think about your era of. Pac-Man and Galaga and Dig Dug and that sort of thing. Like, games were mostly sort of, well, let's do these sorts of doable, like, representational things that, you know, it's easier to, you know, put them in mazes or have them shoot little bullets at each other or whatever. And uh, this project was going for something very, very different that had not really been seen before at the time. So, yeah, no, I'm definitely excited about it. I also think it's kind of interesting, like, the series that I enjoy immensely right now, as far as a retro compilation, would be the M2 Shot Trigger series. Yeah. 
It's interesting, though, because there's a little bit of a different sort of emphasis between those in that the way M2 seems to be doing those games is like, these games are awesome. You should learn how to play shooters. Here's how to learn how to play these games. And it's a little bit different than the sort of very steeped in the archival thing that Digital Eclipse is going for. And I'm definitely not saying that like one's, you know, better than the other. But I don't know. Like I kind of wish that M2, like, first of all, you know, their technical wizardry with these things is just unbelievable. Like nobody knows the insides and outs of all of this really old hardware that ran all of these games from Toa Plan and Rising, et cetera. And, and Sega games. Like, I'm yeah. a big Sega Ages fan because yeah. of them. Mm-hmm. When they brought their titles back to 3DS and Nintendo Switch. Yeah. They know their so stuff. I don't know. Like, I wish there was a little... Like, I would love to see an approach that sort of adopts both mindsets we're like yes we want you to get to know the history behind this and why it was important but also like this is why it's really fun and this is why you should still play it in 2023 you know what i mean like i just i find that kind of an interesting juxtaposition between the two that one is really more hell-bent on like making more shooter addicts and the other is a little more sort of like, well, this is why this should be elevated and celebrated sort of thing. I don't know. Yeah. It's an interesting difference in the way that both of these really, you know, technically adept and, you know, careful stewards of this stuff are sort of approaching how they release these compilations. I think that's interesting that you pointed that out because it's just, um, I didn't, realize that there are more than one there's more than one way to show this appreciation and you're definitely right like m2 does a great job of uh making sure that what we're playing with these classics that they bring out that they're emulated properly and not only that uh give you an idea of like why it was good by kind of giving you uh more tools to play with and also show you how to do it mm-hmm. and they even have those uh every every uh time they bring out another compilation or are about to bring out a compilation they have youtube specials and they have uh chats about it like live chats things like that so they do have a different way of doing it but mm-hmm. it's not as accessible as right. something like a Digital Eclipse, Gold Master Series, or Atari 50, which you kind of wish they could just sit down and say, hey, listen, you know, this is great and all. Like, It's kind of like how I've always liked reading those uh, Iwata interviews that Nintendo had, but mm-hmm. it was on their website, and it's hard to for pe- normal people to just find that. Y- yeah, they're y- not likely y- to do so. Yeah, I only found out through social media. Mm-hmm. But if you include that with a compilation of a game that wants to celebrate the history of 
said game, that would take off. I mean, why wouldn't yeah. you do that? I mean, it wouldn't take much more effort. And right. I think it would be much more uh, appreciated and it would not be secluded to only people in the know. Just, yeah. I think you have something there. I think hopefully, I mean, it, it could be a cultural difference, like the way they approach things in Japan compared to like what they're doing in North America. And I hope that the gold series, the gold master series and the Atari 50 kind of helps. I mean, just, uh, I'm just glad that they bring attention to the games, but yeah, I hope that it's more accessible. That's all for sure. But, but great. (sighs) All right. Well, we're going to take a little break. Um, and you'll be hearing some messages from our friends here at the ruminations radio network. Um, Check everybody out at RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. There's a boatload of shows, all the variety of fascinating topics. Uh, check them out. Hey, kids, it's Don Shanahan from the Cinephile Hissy Fit, one of the podcasts on the Ruminations Radio Network. If you've been enjoying this show, come listen to Will Johnson and I fight it out over cinema's best and worst on Cinephile Hissy Fit. Find us and all the great shows over on RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. back yay how you doing <laughs> how you living yeah yeah so um speaking of anniversaries and all things retro um we're coming up very shortly on the 30th anniversary of the garo Densets series aka fatal fury here in the west um and of course with that there was a very exciting piece of news recently where SNK dropped a trailer for their brand new Garoda and Seth series game, Garo City of the Wolves. Um, talk to me a little bit about your experience with Fatal Fury, Ed. Uh, you're a longtime SNK stalwart uh, ever since I first met you when you were first like frothing at the mouth playing king of fighters 94 oh yes uh tearing it up with team <laughs> england uh, <laughs> you know great. talk about like what those games meant to you and maybe what you're thinking of as you have seen this trailer for this new game and like you know what does it mean in the context of 2023 i am definitely excited to play this new game um Growing up with uh, the SNK titles, uh, I have to admit, Fatal Fury, um, especially the early ones, uh, I didn't get into as much as games like Samurai Showdown and obviously King of Fighters because Fatal Fury felt a little bit stiff to me, especially when you're playing games like Street Fighter 2 and how fluid that game is. Fatal Fury seemed to be a little bit rigid, especially with the four buttons and uh, the lack of accessible combos, or I wouldn't say accessible combos, but the combos were a little bit harder to do. And this was back before Game Facts, so it was hard to find out your own combos. And 
not as many people were playing Fatal Fury as they were with Street Fighter 2. So, and they they continued with Fatal Fury 3 and uh, the follow-ups to that real bout. And I think they even had like some 3D games. If I don't, there were, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're um, they're of mixed quality as most of SNK's yeah. 3D output from that era. Exactly. Um, you can kind of take them or leave them, really. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But it wasn't until Garo Mark of the Wolves where I finally started paying attention, like real attention to the series. And wow, like Garo Mark of the Wolves was like the answer to Street Fighter Three Third Strike back in the day. And they really upped their game with the animations of, of the characters being so fluid, the top system being kind of fun, interesting. Uh, a lot of good characters and a nice balance of new and old. Like from what I remember, Terry Bogard, wasn't he the only returning character from Fatal Fury in that game? Pretty much. I mean, uh, barring all the characters that were sort of <sighs> like the inheritors of specific characters, legacies, like obviously Kim Kapwan's sons being in that game, uh, Marco being the representative of the Kyoka Genru. Dojo. Rock, Rock Howard being Rock, Rock Howard being kind of quasi geese, but not entirely so. Um, yeah. No, it was like, yeah, when that game, that was a game that, like, at least here where, where we were in Tucson at the time, like, arcades that were regularly updating their MVS games were really beginning to dwindle by that point. And so, you know, where you could always count on most places that still had an MVS cab to get like the latest King of Fighters game or whatever, there was that last wave of really good games that for the most part, I definitely didn't get to experience them anywhere near me. Um, The first time I played Garo was a ROM dump. And that that also goes for uh, the two last blade games so i had pretty much in my head gone well you know the neo's kind of dead hardware at this point da, 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 da. and then i got into sort of building my own computers at that point and toying around with emulators a lot and the first time i saw garo running i was just like what the fuck is this? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was, it was like an absolute slap in the face to discover that like SNK had really attempted to create a fighting game that was on a par, as you said, with Street Fighter 3 in terms of animation. Um, it just looked like everything that the hardware was capable of was being milked for this game. Um, and it was around the same time that I discovered like the later real about games, um, real about two being like a really amazing looking game, just these enormous, beautiful sprites, um, animation, not quite as good as Garo, but still like it had come such a long, long way from the likes of fatal fury one and two. Um, so yeah, like it's interesting because that series has always been far more like it's always been far more story driven 
than pretty much any of the other SNK series, you know, set, centering around this, you know, storyline about the Bogart family and Terry and Andy and their friend Joe's quest for revenge after Geese Howard murdered Jeff Bogard all in the town of Southtown. Um, Dude, uh, you know what's a great uh, Twitter account to follow if you want to know more about Fatal Fury lore? It's uh, Neo Geo Now. I don't know mm-hmm. the exact handle name, like uh, what they're listed at uh, under Twitter. I refuse mm-hmm. to call it X because it, X is a stupid name. But um, uh-huh. yeah, um, but yeah, um, I learned from this account that Terry and Andy are actually not biological brothers. They were both orphans that were adopted by Jeff Bogard. And also, Geese has a tragic story where um, his mother and father were, uh, they separated. Uh, His father uh, left his mother, who was in poor health, I believe. And he went to Germany and got married again and uh, left his wife behind and she died. You know, I don't know if it was from grief or not, but Geese definitely wanted revenge. So he went to seek out his father in Germany and guess who he had to go through to get to his father. And that was uh, his half brother, who is actually Wolfgang Krauser, who is one of the bosses in Fatal Fury Two. Wow! And wow. Fatal Fury One, I believe. I I don't. But yeah, check it because they were going to make this drama, I believe, like a audio drama. I'm not sure the de- the details of it, but back then, uh, they were planning to do like this whole like, uh explanation of the storyline with like I, I don't know if it was like an audiobook or audio drama or whatnot but they were gonna do it back in the day in japan and there were a lot of illustrations by shinkiro who was uh who yeah who was one of the most prominent snk artists back then now he freelances and does stuff for capcom but yeah he did illustrations for that with uh fatal fury characters when they were younger like Jeff Bogard and, and uh, Geese Howard, things like that. It was really cool. It, I kind of wish they did a prequel to Fatal Fury. Yeah. I, oh, that. man. D- don't talk to Hoptimus and I about that, because that's a thing that we've long talked about. Like, yeah, you know, SF2 gave way to the Alpha series, which mm-hmm. was a really sort of fun way for them to play with the time before SF2 yeah, and introduce some elder characters that, you know, were rooted in street fighter one. I would love to see something like that happen, um, with fatal fury, but yeah. I don't know. It's an interesting thing to, to wrap your head around. I know that, um, you know, there were a few different OAV efforts, there was a first Fatal Fury one that eh, it's all right. I had a dub of it yeah. <laughs> way back when. Yeah, the second I mean, one got. I mean, the second one got consistently better, and then the movie was like really impressive. Like, obviously, operating with a much bigger budget than either of those two OAV efforts. 
Boy, Hopkins yeah. is going to hear this, and he's going to be hopping mad that he wasn't talking about this with us. Uh, <laughs> we can bring him along. Uh, we, we can bring him when uh, it, it's going to, when we hear more when information about the, the game. Or actually whatever. is about to drop, then we'll yeah. have Optimus back on to talk yeah. about all things. Because I'd love to hear his perspective, too. I mean, he's yeah. definitely into SNK, like both of us. And Yep. A third perspective would be interesting to hear about this. But yeah, I mean, I would nominate Fatal Fury as one of the storylines that I would like to see develop in a fighting game that, I mean, there's a lot of lore, but not something that is known to many people, which should be. Yeah, I mean, and that sort of brings us to where City of the Wolves is. And one of the questions I have, slash quasi qualm about it is that with what we see in the trailer it looks really 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 similar in execution to KOF 15 and Summer Showdown yeah and that's not that's not in and of itself a bad thing yeah but the traditional Fatal Fury series you know one through Mark of the Wolves really sort of they really sort of marched to the beat of their own drum visually. You know what I mean? They had a very distinctly different thing from King of the Fighters specifically. So I hope that, you know, as you said, like, this is definitely a more narrative-focused enterprise, and I hope that this game also keeps that alive. But... I also hope there's some added differentiation somehow visually because it would be nice if, I don't know, like we're in this strange place now where like the expectation of all fighting games now is that, yes, you do have to have lots of single player content, quote unquote, along with a robust online, you know, environment for players. I don't know. I mean, I, I it's it's a weird thing to to really call out story in this day and age, and that game definitely aspired to more narratively than I would say most of the fighting games do now. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of people want to know what happened with Rock Howard at right. the end of Garo Mark of the Wolves mm-hmm. because it kind of leaves you hanging, and. Right. There was a second game planned after that that was in right. 2D, and this was when the Neo Geo hardware was on its dying breath and never saw the light of day. And who knows if uh, any of that stuff that they were planning to do back then. If is, that's going to manifest now? Yeah. Yeah. You wonder about that. But I hope. They put that, you know, to the forefront because I think it's hard nowadays for a fighting game to really choose what they want to be now because with the advent of esports, there's that particular thing to chase. Like, you want to make this a title that you want to be able to play at Evo or Evo, right? Sorry, um, or any fighting game tournament. And that's uh-huh. what's going to get you the audience that you want and having people play it at a high level, getting excited about it. Some developers want that, but right. 
maybe with Garo City of the Wolves, like you said, maybe they should focus more on the narrative and be a little bit different and yeah, make it a fun, playable game that focuses more on story than focusing on, hey, we, we want it to be in tournaments. Yeah. Because we already have enough of that. <laughs> and Samurai Showdown, like, I don't know if they made that game for narrative or for putting it into possible esports tournaments, but because I haven't played the game all that much. I mean, what? it felt much more like they were just trying to make a good Samurai Showdown game. And yeah. I mean, as a bellwether for that, the netcode in the initial Samurai Showdown release is really bad. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons that we're actually getting the rollback code update fairly soon. I believe it's next month. Yeah. Um, it's It's been, what, two or three years? Yeah. Yeah. Better late than never. But, um, no, I mean, people, there's a lot of people that still enjoy that game. I definitely consider myself one of them. I mean, I didn't, uh, I remember really liking the screenshots, but I remember being, gosh, can they, can they still do this kind of game, you know, in this day and age? And they, they really did. So I don't have any real, like, active reason to not think that they'll pull it off well with Fatal Fury. But it's just, it's an interesting thing because there are all these expectations now of fighting games. And I guess I'm wondering aloud, like, is there room for a fighting game that's just a really good game that is narratively driven, that is artistically interesting, that isn't necessarily built for esports? Yeah. Because narrative games that are great doesn't pay the bills sometimes. Right. And SNK is a lot smaller than a company like Capcom or Bandai Namco. Right. So they got a hit on this and yeah, get to a larger audience so that they can bring out more games and stay alive as a company. Yeah. Because it took them a lot. I mean, look at the... KOF that came out, the 3D KOF that came out after what King King of Fighters 13, I believe. Yeah. And that looked (laughs) (laughs) before the update. And even the update, it still looked kind of plain, but a lot of people weren't a big fan of the aesthetics of how it looked. But they improved that with King of Fighters 15, obviously. Well, and the thing was, but, that game still had a community behind it, though, because there were still a lot of people that loved the way it played. Exactly. They liked the way that game went down competitively. Yeah. Even if it was aesthetically, like, a bit off the mark. I mean, that was the exciting thing about Samurai Showdown and KOF 15, was that it really felt like, for the first time, SNK seemed actually comfortable with delivering games that felt like legitimate heirs to that SNK artistic heritage. Yeah. But in a sort of capable modern package. Yeah. And I hope they continue doing that. But I mean, it was hard to see like King of Fighters 15 came out with a lot of fanfare. Like everyone's like, wow, this is a great game. This is fun. And then Street Fighter 6 came out and 
not many people talk about it as much anymore. But see, and that's the other thing that I wonder now is like, are fighting games now doomed to this sort of cycle where a big release comes out, everybody stops talking about the thing that came out before it? You know, SF6 is definitely like the 800 pound gorilla in the room right now. Yeah. But like, is that going to be upended when? Mortal Kombat 1 and Tekken 8 come out. Like, is that going to divvy the pool of fighting game players even more? I mean, I think that was one reason where... That was one aspect of SF6, of the development of that game, that they had really, really right, where they were like, if this is going to be fruitful moving forward, like, we have to grow the player base. Yep. And that was a question that I don't think most developers have seriously courted. I think for the most part, a lot of the development of these games has been focused exclusively on like the legacy audience or whatever form of that mutated into the esports audience. But like that's still a very intimidating realm for people that have never spent much time with fighting games like the people i know that still play fighting games are the ones that have been playing them forever now yeah and i don't know a lot of new people that are just like oh yeah yeah pick this up but apparently sf6 has drawn a lot of those folks so a lot of casuals yes and that's what you want because you want to grow that new generation because you can't depend on people who played street fighter 2 20 years ago, 30 years ago and expect them to keep coming back because yeah. as they grow older, they have kids, they have adult things they have to take care of. They're not going to spend as much time with video games. So you got to grab the younger generation. But um, I think the most important thing is to make sure that your game is fun to play now and will be fun to play years to come. And it separates itself from other fighting games to make it a classic. I mean, look at Street Fighter itself. Like, people still love playing Super Turbo. Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo. After all these years, people still have tournaments for that game. Yet, when it comes to Street Fighter 4, Street Fighter 5, I mean, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You won't see many tournaments. I've heard that there are communities of people that apparently play, like, SF4 Vanilla. Yeah, which is cool. I mean, but <laughs> even in Japan, you don't see... Actually, I don't I don't even see any tournaments being advertised for any Street Fighter 4 or Street Fighter 5 game. Especially yeah. not Street Fighter 5. A lot of people kind of want to sweep that under the rug, saying like, oh, it's just never existed. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. We just yeah. went from 4 to 6. What are you talking about? But uh-huh. um, I, I just think that... That's what video game companies, uh, I mean, that make fighting games, they should really focus on that. Like, maybe Garo needs to focus on that to make sure that this is a keeper. Because, I mean, King of Fighters keeps coming out, and that's great. Yeah. But Garo hasn't been out for a long time, and maybe after this game... Who knows what the future is? I mean, it's the same with Samurai Showdown, but you want to make it so that 
it distinguishes itself that when you play it, you're like, wow, I have not played a game like this from yeah. any other fighting game. And even after 10 years, I want to come back to it. That's right. actually really hard to do now. Yeah, I mean, and that's just kind of the glut of things, right? Like, yeah. And you can't really plan out which games are going to become, you know, these forever touchstones. I mean, Super Turbo is one of five variants of SF2, right? Yeah. Or six now, I suppose, if you count Ultra SF2. Um, so that's weird. Um, but also the same thing, even with the early Garoda and Sets games. I mean, Garoda and Sets Special or Fatal Fury Special yeah, is another they, one of those games that people still play. There's still tournaments <laughs> in Japan. Yeah. I mean, it's I don't, very I, niche, but yeah, they still exist. Yeah, and I don't know. I don't know how much you can plan that. You know, like it's very hard to predict what over the long run people are really going to go. God, that's the one that I just want to keep playing. I mean, I look at the old Darkstalkers games, and Vampire Hunter is the one that I always want to pick up and play again. And but there's for others, Vampire Savior, yeah. Yeah, I mean, for others, it's more Vampire Savior. They like the faster sort of quasi-killer instinct thing that happens with the rounds. You know what I mean? So yeah. there's also that division between uh, Alpha 2 and Alpha 3 folk. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, it, it's kind of, it, it is difficult to hit on, but I think it's a mixture of really fun diverse characters that people enjoy and mm -hmm. addictive gameplay that is rewarding. Yeah. Like when you hit a combo, especially during a tournament or some high level, uh, uh, state of play, you feel that rush and that's what people want. And that's what right. makes a game legendary for a fighting mm -hmm. game. So yeah. hopefully, this Garo game that's coming out might have that magic because I mean, I don't think SNK is in any trouble, but I mean, well, I've, uh, here, I mean, here's an interesting thing to think uh, another interesting way to think about it. I had been playing super turbo for maybe 15 years. Yeah. At the point I met Chris Powell. Yeah. And then suddenly Oh my God, Blanc is worth a shit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, Chris Powell, this guy's uh, this yeah. guy's a fucking terror with this character, and I had written that character off as just like, yeah, the toilet end of the tier list. And meanwhile, this dude, because he loves that character, because he yep. looks like the character, <laughs> um, you know, he absolutely mastered that dude's spacing. And figured out how the tools were useful. Yeah. And it was very, very, very difficult to yeah. beat that dude, despite the fact that I had been playing this crazy game for 15 years at that point. Yeah. So Chris uh is a younger guy. But yeah. uh he he's amazing. I mean, yeah. I don't know if he plays on Twitch anymore, and I don't think he went to Evo this year, but 
Man, if you're listening, Chris, we miss you, man. I hope we, you come back and <laughs> play some more because you're you're one of a kind, man. Even, uh, I mean, he got respect from all over the world because oh, yeah. of how he plays Blanca as a character. He's that unique. And that's the type of gameplay I'm talking about. The type of gameplay where it's like rewarding. If you stick right. with it, you can make your own voice in yeah. a game like this. And But that's that, the thing, though. It's like, I don't know how much you can actually attempt to plan that out or not. You can't, but you can definitely set <laughs> yourself up for it by making, by just putting in the hard work and kind of really focusing on is yeah. this fun is this i don't know though i mean how many how, how many of these games sitting amongst the gargantuan library of 2d fighting games that have been produced since yeah. sf2 came out how many of them may actually have some potential in that regard well <laughs> but they just never became the thing that people obsessed over it's Partly luck, I I think as well. So it's yeah. just a big mixture, but just well, gotta like, yeah. Here's a, here's an analogy for that. Like I do social media stuff for a living, mm-hmm. and one of the giant jokes among social media people is when somebody, usually like you know, a chief marketing officer or a CEO. Somebody that is above a person doing social media in a given organization, but doesn't actually work at it on a day-to-day basis. Like, yeah. the giant joke is like, oh, have we gone viral yet? <laughs> like, essentially, Super Turbo and Fatal Fury Special are like the 2D fighters that went viral. Like, at yeah. some point, they just permanently seated themselves in the minds of enough players so that they became like these forever fighting game experiences. Like the ones that we always go back, like Samurai Showdown 2, KOF 98. Same thing, right? Yep. Like they're just unbelievably great iterations of an already great thing, but just proved to have enough depth that you can just go back to them forever. And so I don't know. I don't know that you can plan for it, really. You can, I mean, but I. Th- but I think what you said really does hold water. In that, if you just aim really high, if you aim to deliver something that is aesthetically pleasing, that is satisfying to play, that maybe takes a few weird risks. You know, I mean, a lot of times, unfortunately, like I can't even remember the last time I played the first Dark Starkers. It's not very fun. It isn't. It's very plain. And it's very plain. It's very proto. You know, you could also insert Street Fighter Alpha 1 here. You know, yeah. like something that was just not, you know, when they pulled the toothpick out of that one, it was still wet. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that was not a done idea by any stretch of the imagination. So a lot of times, like, it takes the follow-up to go, all right, that didn't work. That didn't work. That didn't work. This could work. This could work. These two rad new characters. All right, let's go. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so um, let's hope City of the Wolves will yeah. be able to learn from what they uh, accomplished with Samurai Showdown, the the newest one, and the King of Fighters 15, and the games yeah. a little bit before it. 
But I also hope it's I hope it's its own game. You know what I mean? That's what I hope too. Yeah. Maybe visually it'll be the same, but hopefully gameplay wise it'll be a lot different. A lot a lot more of a unique experience. But that Do you think uh, it'll have the line system? I hope so. I mean, I hope they retain a lot of what made Mark of the Wolves fun. Like uh, Mark of the Wolves didn't have the line system though. Oh, it's like a real bad I th- thing. I thought you were talking about the... in and out of the backgrounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you were talking about the top system. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, but, no, no. Yeah, no. the line system would be cool again, but at the yeah. same time, I mean, you got to make it so it's not distracting or like because I thought it was kind of cool to be able to jump into the foreground and background, but at the same time, it kind of made it like. Uh, it didn't feel like you were actually fighting. It felt like you're more like, hey, I'm over here. I'm over here. I'm over here. Try to hit me type of thing, right. especially with well, the Well, I mean, you strike me as a player just knowing you and your habits and the characters that you like to play. Like, yeah, you want to control space. Yeah. I mean, you're a rush now person. Yeah. So I like it, it doesn't linear. surprise me that you would <laughs> you would not love the the line system and something like that. Kind of stuff, yeah. Yeah. But if they can do it, yeah. Yeah. I'd like to see it come back. We'll see how it all washes out. That at any uh, rate. Uh, <laughs> also also just real quick, Blackfinger Jet. That's a new game being developed by former Metal Slug uh developers. And it looks just like Metal Slug, but with a cool new character. Blackfinger Jet, check that out. It's probably on Twitter right now if you look there's a lot of yeah the new guy looks very uh noir like he looks like he's out of a 1930s gangster movie yeah so if that's like the environment or whatever that could be pretty cool i don't think it's a snk game but it's definitely going to feel like metal slug all over again so check that game out too it's a great time to be a snk fan right now for show yep (sighs) ah Well, it was damn good talking to you again, Uncle Ed. Uh, so, sorry we went over time, but yeah, it was fun to... Hey, we haven't been back for two months, so... Yeah, we were locked in, man. Yeah, good to locked talk with you. Locked in to a compelling topic. Exciting so. times. Is there anything you want to plug, sir? Instagram, Game Agent ET. I always have some funny stuff up there, so... How about you, nice. sir? I am also on Instagram, at Super Mario Kart. Uh, sometimes I do weird stories with pixel art and follow, oh, don't oh follow. God, it hurts is on oh Twitter God, it hurts is on Twitter. Yep. Um, so yeah, uh, new episodes that way. We thank you for spending way too much time with us today. Ran a little bit over, but I knew if we, if we scrape that, what makes great fighting games from good fighting games, that was just going to be a giant rabbit hole. And it was, well, it's good to talk about stuff like that. It's fun. Yay. For sure. I hope you enjoyed it. All right. See you all in the next episode of Oh God, It Hurts. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.